Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we are going to learn a thing or two about a UPIC operation in Williston, Florida. So today, my guests are Thomas Addison, who is the farm manager at Red, White, and Blue Farms, and then also Jeff Manley, who is the director of agritourism at HNA Farms that works with Red, White, and Blue Farms, kind of operating as their picking facility, um, their packaging facility in Central Florida. So today, we're going to learn from Thomas and Jeff all about how they grow blueberries, peaches, um, sunflowers, strawberries, and really how they operate as a U-Pick operation. I'm always curious to learn how people manage a U-Pick operation where you know you can visit, um, see what's going on at the farm, pick as much fruit as you want. I mean, usually it's like, you know, you can pick as much as you want in like a five-gallon bucket or something like that. But it's always curious to see how they manage that with also, you know, picking it and selling the products themselves in the store. So, you know, how do you strike a balance with that? How do you ensure that you have enough produce for people to come and pick it basically any day of the week, but also have a great crop that you can harvest and sell at a store? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about kind of how agritourism helps their business, how they have gone about um, switching from just growing blueberries to growing things like peaches and strawberries, and kind of how the growing and harvesting process is for each of those crops. So this is a super fun one. If you're in Williston, be sure to go check them out. They have a beautiful facility, and if you want to check out their websites and everything, that is all linked below in the description. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Red, White, Blue Farms, because I had a blast interviewing both Thomas and Jeff. Uh, so yeah, anyway, thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. All right. Well, Jeff and Thomas, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you two doing? Doing good. Fantastic. Nice. All right. So you guys are with Red, White, and Blue Farms, which is a really cool UPIC operation in Williston. So 
Um, Jeff or Thomas, kind of give us the kind of the, the background of Red, White, and Blue Farms and kind of what you guys are doing now. Yeah, and thanks for asking us, and thanks for having us on um, to represent agritourism in this sec section of your show. Um, so Red, White, and Blue's farm has been an established blueberry farm for for quite some years. Um, I think 12, if I'm not mistaken. Is that about right, um, yeah, Thomas? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, it was owned by the Robinson family, and they used to contract with a, a group called H&A Farms, which is two families, two different fifth-generation um, farming gentlemen, the, the Hills and the Atwood family, Michael Hill and Ryan Atwood. And um, they have a blueberry packing house that's um, the largest by volume packing house on the east coast and in addition they also have a company called um total ag care and total ag care um for investors and families are stewards of blueberry operations and um and and they will do all the growing uh all the um uh the work to uh, harvest an incredible blueberry crop uh, for quite a few farms across the state of Florida. And uh, the former owners of Red, White, and Blue's farm um, used to contract with them to uh, do a lot of the growing, a lot of the maintenance on their plants. And when they decided to retire, they, um, it was a wonderful fit and an already made match for H&A Farms to purchase Red, White, and Blue's farm. And that happened in... Um, um, June of 2020 and um, and in 2021 they took possession um, and um, and then started enhancing not only the UPIC operation by adding strawberries to uh, to the crop as a commodity but also really ramping up the agritourism piece, the opportunity for educational, uh, and family experiences. That's cool. So, I mean, what kind of went into the introduction from just doing blueberries to strawberries? Like, I'm sure there was kind of a big pivot there. So what all kind of changes happened then? Well, Thomas, Thomas is our, Thomas is an incredible farmer and he can speak to that very well. So, yeah. So when I got here, uh, back in June and we started kind of looking at what needed to happen, uh, the farm at the time was about 45 acres of uh, blueberries, about seven, seven or eight different varieties. Um, and we made the decision that we would go ahead and start uh, trying to farm strawberries because that would diversify us to the point where we could be open for a lot more of the year. So um, blueberries, typically the UPIC harvest season is going to be from March until about June. Um, so that limits kind of the opportunity for the farm to, you know, really just that period of, you know, bringing money in and, and making things run the way they need to go. So by introducing strawberries, um, we were able to run the UPIC season all the way from uh, this year. We had berries in late November. Um, and then uh, so we started the UPIC. We opened the UPIC up to customers um, in uh, late November and December. And that'll run all the way until um if we're lucky and we can get that much time out of the strawberry crop that'll run all the way until april and maybe even may so 
we'll have two crops, uh, two food crops that overlay each other um, with uh, strawberries and blueberries. And then we've also got about three acres of peaches that'll come in around June um, that we will uh, be able to offer to the public then. But as far as uh, converting the you know acreage over to strawberries, uh, we took out about 11 acres of the blueberries and uh, planted strawberries. So um, that was uh, a rather difficult process at the beginning. We had to go in and pull out a lot of the old irrigation, mm -hmm. uh, the drip lines and whatnot that the um, blueberries used because we were not going to be able to reuse that for the strawberries. So we had to go in and pull all that out. And then um, we brought in a, a skid steer machine with a mulching head on the front and mulched down those 11 acres of blueberries. Um, and then uh, as, as it went, we had to get a lot of debris out of the field. I will make a recommendation to anybody that is trying to uh, convert any kind of uh, long-term crop, like a woody crop, like uh, blueberries over to a, a vegetable crop or a crop that you're going to lay plastic in. Um, my advice is to push all that up with a front end loader. Do not mulch it because it, it makes a, uh, makes a big mess for you. So that was a challenge. That was a challenge that we faced as far as, um, getting the ground ready. Um, we, uh, laid plastic. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of folks are, are familiar with plastic culture and, and the um, way that Florida strawberries are grown, um, which is why it was really important to get as much of that debris up as we possibly could. Um, so, uh, we got the field cleaned up. We got our irrigation situated, all of our, uh, new installments that had to be made as far as the strawberries go. And then, um, in October we laid plastic. Um, that was about a two day operation, um, that, uh, we really had to learn from the ground up and we had some really key individuals, um, that helped us get ready to grow strawberries. Cause you know, historically this organization is, is, has been strictly blueberries. And um, it is there's quite the learning curve uh, when it comes to, to trying to grow a crop of strawberries. Um, and for, as far as my experience, I'm coming into this, you know, out of a uh, out of a sales career, um, kind of a change of change of path into something that I felt like I would enjoy doing a little bit more. And um, it's uh, it's been a great learning experience for me as well. Um, but like I said, we had some key individuals that made that transition from growing blueberries to strawberries a little bit easier. Um, and, uh, now we're in the process of, uh, we, we commercially harvest them, uh, once a week, uh, every Monday. And as we come into the spring, we'll probably go to a commercial harvest, uh, twice a week. Um, if the, uh, yields keep, or, you know, keep increasing like we, like we think they will. So that's kind of where we, where we were and how we got to got to here now yeah you know i didn't even think about that whole transition from blueberries to strawberries i mean blueberries are you know very wooden and so strawberries are i mean you're going to plant them year after year right and so that's that's i mean i didn't really think about how hard of a transition that would be from established plants to something new i mean obviously it took a lot of work and it sounds like you guys pulled it off pretty well yeah we spent um i, I mean my guys and i i mean i had i had my i had some key guys really helping that you know, spent a lot of time on the landscape rake trying to get a lot of the debris out of the field that um, was left behind. And I think, you know, one of our biggest issues was that the old irrigation system that was in the strawberries or in the blueberries, excuse me, was actually just on top of the ground. So you had a, a piece of two inch PVC pipe that ran down, you know, the length of a row for the blueberry plants. And it was just sitting on top of the ground and it was staked up with rebar. Mm -hmm. So 
that made it extremely difficult as far as trying to mulch the plants down because we did want to reuse some of those parts. So we couldn't just come in there and mulch it or we'd have mulched all our pipe up. And, and that was one of the reasons why we had so much residual left. Um, but I mean, it ended up turning out really good. Uh, we didn't tear up our plastic uh, the way that the, um, the way that the better works that beds up the, the dirt for the strawberries is it kind of digs down in the sides and it rolls up dirt that, you know, is kind of right under the surface and puts it on top. So um, a lot of the debris that we would have possibly seen or been worried about poking, poking a bunch of holes in our plastic actually ended up on the interior of the bed rather than the exterior. So um, that was, that was a relief. But um, <laughs> we, uh, we got it in there and, and um, like I said, for a bunch of folks that had never laid plastic before or um, you know, hadn't really much experience with it. You know, I think we did a really good job. It sounds like it. I mean, so I've been checking out y'all's Instagram pretty well. And it's, I mean, it's very well done. Like you can see what all's going on there. And it looks like, I mean, your strawberry crops are thriving. So it's definitely clear that the, the, the plastic worked out well. Yeah. And I got to say, man, the guy that is really responsible for, for how good those plants look is, uh, his name's Eric Zunica. Mm. Um, he was really key and instrumental in putting together our strawberry program and, uh, he's, uh, he's been super important as far as that goes. Hey, well, that's awesome. Um, so Thomas, you brought up something talking about you, you're harvesting and doing the UPIC operation. So I guess if either you, Thomas or Jeff, you might be able to answer this. Um, what's that process like of kind of having to worry about, I guess, how much product you have for both harvesting and for the UPIC operation. So what's that? I mean, how hard is it there to maintain a balance for both of them? Um, yeah, so I, I can, I can answer this one. Um, so basically what we'll do is the UPIC itself is open five days a week. It's closed Monday, Tuesday, open the rest of the week. So what we'll do is we'll come in and we'll do a commercial harvest on Monday. And then any fruit that's out there that is borderline, you know, may be ready, may not be ready. We'll just, we'll just leave it, you know, pr pretty much. And, um, by the time Wednesday rolls around, when the UPIC opens up, that fruit that was borderline is ready. Mm. Uh, and there's, there's really no way, I mean, unless we just had, you know, the Titanic unload right in front of the farm, um, we, in order to pick that much fruit would be, um, would be really difficult for the UPIC, you know, just customers coming in for the UPIC. So you really have to commercially harvest it in order to get all the fruit and, you know, not let any of it go to waste. Um, but what we've done in the past is on, on when we've had to move harvest around in order to accommodate, whether it be the weather or uh, things along those lines, we'll leave a certain section uh, of fruit not harvested. And that will be the section that we direct the U-Pickers towards. And then there's also the possibility of going through the field and doing what we call a light pick. So we would have the harvesters just basically go through and pick approximately 90% of the crop, 80 to 90% of the crop and leave the rest and um, try to handle it that way as well. That sounds awesome. So Jeff, do you have anything to add there? No, other than uh, you, you mentioned the word balance as, as, as well as uh, Thomas did. And, and, um, and that's the real key. Um, and uh, so we, we, we have a lot of conversations throughout the week and we watch the, the, the temperatures, we watch the weather and, um, um, 
you know, Wednesday is typically a softer you uh, pick day, but by the time you get to Friday and the weekend, it can be pretty robust. Mm. So, um, so every now and again, we'll, we'll Thomas and, and um, the agritourism leadership and myself will get together there on the farm and just say, Hey, uh, Thomas, could you, would you mind leaving this half acre 80% picked, <laughs> you know? Um, and he's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a, a, a wonderful um, uh, back and forth to, to be able to make sure that the folks that do come and you pick strawberries have uh, really high quality products as well. And, and, uh, and, and you were right about your uh, summation of, of, of the photographs of those strawberries. Um, I think we were probably um, some of the earliest strawberries in the entire state of Florida. And I'll be honest with you, I, I've just never seen a prettier crop myself. Um, these guys have just done an incredible job. That's good to hear. And so real quick, Jeff, while I'm thinking about it, um, I know like the strawberry capital of the world is Plant City, which you guys are just a couple hours north of in Williston. And so, I mean, what's it like growing strawberries and even blueberries in that region of Florida? Like, it seems like you might be in a little perfect area. Well, I think it is perfect. And, um, and, and uh, um, you know, I, I think that the, 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 the quality and the uh, production numbers uh, kind of point and speak to that uh, as far as the strawberries go. Um, being so early, I mean, we were picking strawberries as early as December the mm. 2nd. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks don't have strawberries on their mind uh, about that time. And uh, so some of it, when you're that early, it's, it's almost a, a customer awareness and, and uh, opportunity from, from the marketing standpoint. Um, but the, you know, the other part of it is, and, and I'd love for Thomas to, to, to speak to this is that, um, you know, he's been babysitting, um, um, wells at night because he's, you know, you're in sort of North Florida, North central Florida. And, um, uh, and the temperatures got a little bit cooler this last time. And so, uh, frost protection, um, uh, watching the, 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 uh, the blooms on the peaches, the strawberries, the, the, um, uh, the blueberries, it's been an incredible task for him. And, uh, if you go back and look on some of our Instagram stuff, you can just see sheets of ice that he was out there with all that time. So it's a, it's an incredible, um, location to grow all those commodities, but there are some challenges that, uh, Thomas has just recently gone through, um, that have been very uh, interesting. Yeah, um, so the reason why uh, most strawberries or a lot of strawberries are grown around Plant City, um, so you've got two different ways that you can grow strawberries. You can basically plant them in the fall and you might get an early crop off of them and then you can, uh, then you'll have the cold weather come and then you can overwinter mm -hmm. them into the spring, which is what they do in um, you know Georgia and, and on up into the Northeast. Um, like I said, they'll plant them in the fall, they'll go dormant in the uh, wintertime, and then they'll get a uh, crop, they'll start making a crop in the spring. Florida, Florida is different because we will actually plant them in the fall and we'll continue to harvest, we'll, we'll harvest uh, strawberries off of them all the way through until uh, March, April, and May, even if, if we're lucky and we can keep the crop going that long. 
And uh, one of the reasons why the, the strawberry capital in uh, Florida is Plant City is because it's got a, a pretty good climate as far as, you know, the temperatures go and how much rain we get in the, in the wintertime. Um, uh, water is your biggest enemy uh, when you're growing uh, strawberries. Any, any, anytime you get a, uh, a rain event or a heavy fog or if you've got a cold protect um, and use overhead water in order to do that, you're creating a, a very hospitable environment for um, fungal pathogens to make their way into your crop and potentially cause damage. So um, that's one of the reasons why it's a little bit, I, I would say based on what I've seen down south and what I've seen in other areas, I would say it's actually a little bit more difficult to maintain a, a good crop and, and get the longevity out of it being um, kind of in the area that we are where you know, this past weekend, we saw temperatures of 22 degrees and we ran water for anywhere from 12 to 15 hours in some cases in order to make ice to protect the crops. So uh, that's one of the challenges that we face. That, that's the biggest challenge, I would say, that we face with this strawberry crop is just the fact that um, we have to use a lot of water in order to maintain the, uh, the field and to get it through until the spring when we can expect our largest harvest. Um, and then uh, as far as the blueberries go, this farm is in kind of a unique area to where the UPIC really will uh, bolster the income that the farm gets. Uh, the main reason is because, so the way, the way blueberries work is you'll have the crop come in first down in central and you know, central Florida where the, where H&A Farms is actually based and the vast majority of our managed farms are. Um, so that crop will come in first and then you've got the Georgia crop that'll come in after that crop. And what can happen is if, if you're not too, if you're too early, you run into, you, you can't make the, uh, the Florida, the majority of the Florida crop. And then if you're too late, you will run into an issue with um, running into the Georgia crop. So in order to mitigate that risk, I think the previous, the previous owners of the farm, the Robinsons, I think they saw that and a great way to mitigate that is to um, bring in, you know, you pickers and, and open up the farm to the public and let them, let, let those folks come out and enjoy the farm and, and pick fruit and, and whatnot. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that change when you open up a you pick and I I think that the UPIC operation is going to be key to being able to continue to commercially produce products uh, going into the future, not only for, for our, our company, but for uh, any kind of commercial producer. Um, it just brings another avenue of, of, um, of income to the farm that you can't get anywhere else as far as you know, you let, you let folks come in here and um, harvest a crop, they pick it for you. You don't have to, you don't have to pick it. You don't have to pack it. You don't have to ship it. You don't have to market it. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And these, and, and folks will just come in and, and pay you for the fruit and they'll take it straight off the farm. I mean, you can't ask for a whole lot better circumstance than that. So um, that's, that's my two cents on it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And, and going off of that, the UPIC operation, I mean, how has it been the past couple of years? I mean, I know people are, it seems like people are wanting to know a little bit more about where their food comes from. And you pick operations like you guys are a perfect example of that. People can actually go out to a farm, pick their own produce, strawberries or blueberries, for example, 
And so how's it been the last couple of years, especially with all the whole COVID stuff going on? Well, you know, um, this farm particularly, when right before we took it over from the Robinsons, um, they said that 2020 and, you know, during, during the pandemic and during um, quarantine, that um, that was really their, that, that was a huge year for them. I mean, because folks just wanted to get out. They wanted to come and, you know, breathe fresh air and see the sunshine and, and be able to stretch your legs and whatnot. And uh, it was it was a really big uh, um, income source for mm-hmm. the Robinsons. And I think, um, you know, Jeff can echo that as well with his experience. But um, I would say that, that it, it, it was, you know, however devastating a pandemic may be, it was very beneficial for, um, the, for the farm and, and for folks that, you know, just wanted to get out and, and get some fresh air. Um, but I will say, you know, Jeff's talked about the Instagram and things are on there. I've posted some on the Instagram and, and tried to educate folks, you know, about what it takes to make a crop that's when we talk about being public and being on social media the thing that i'm interested in interested in the most is the agronomy side Mm -hmm. of it you know what does it take to get a crop to the table you know like a lot of people don't know about cold protecting like jeff was talking about and then and getting getting uh, water on a crop and actually making ice you know it seems counterintuitive but that's how we protect uh, these crops that way we can get them get them through and, and harvest them so uh, that's something that is is really important to myself and, and one of the things that I enjoy the most is teaching folks about you know our food our food system and how how food gets to the table and I think you're right I think a lot of people are more interested in locally grown um, you know produce and actually figuring out, you know, what's what where their crop comes from and how it's grown and stuff like that. So it's very exciting um, that that opportunity is presented to us to be able to to educate folks as far as that goes. I bet. So Jeff, as the as the farms as the farm guy. So what's your perspective on the whole you pick thing? Well, there's a couple of things you had mentioned. You know, uh, Plant City, and that's the that's the you know that's the giant strawberry mm-hmm. uh, uh, capital. And, uh, and, you know, um, it's wonderful for a smaller operations, uh, strawberry operation like we are, because in, in uh, Florida, you've, you've got this incredible strawberry network, um, which, which any of us can take advantage of. And, um, uh, and so uh, at the same time, you don't want to compete against Plant City and so, like, for example, at our, at our agritourism destinations in Eustace and in Williston at Red, White and Blues Farm, we're doing a strawberry festival um, uh, in February, February 12th and 13th, you know, with lots of things that families can do and that, that sort of thing. And we're doing it intentionally a little early so that, um, you know, so we can take advantage of where our strawberries are in the, in the peak of the crop, as well as, um, uh, the incredible weather uh, that you've got um, in Florida. Uh, at the same time, you kind of t- talked about the um, the COVID, and 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 that's you know as as tragic as COVID has been in many many ways. Um, it has it has affected agritourism in in a in a positive way. Agritourism has turned out to be uh, um, a direction to which the populations have turned to 
have good, clean, wholesome fun with their family, to be outdoors, masked or unmasked. And, um, and agritourism has um, had uh, just bumper numbers uh, over the last two years. And um, uh, I think more people are becoming aware of it. And as, as, as Thomas has said, and you've echoed, folks are wanting to know more. They're wanting to educate their children more about their food. They want to, they want to know the farm where the food comes from. And um, all those, all those factors have really played in as a benefit uh, to, to agritourism. I, I've heard so many stories. It's weird during the whole pandemic thing. Um, you know, farming was crazy. People were having to ship their food intended for like vacation spots or hotels, send it to um, food banks or whatever. But then you've got operations like you guys that have you pick operations and they've seen like huge explosions in the number of people that actually want to go there. I mean, people want to get out. They want to go do something and they want to learn where their food comes from. And so it's like a it's like a win, 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 really. I mean, you guys get to build relationships with your customer base and then give them a great product. And then the consumer gets a great product and gets to learn a thing or two in the in the same instance. So it seems like, you know, a perfect relationship, really. Yeah, and really the way that we like to look at it, Trevor, is that um, it, it is that the public, the general public and, and, and families interested in coming to the farm, they are a commodity. Um, and, um, and, it, and, it, and, and it's just a, it's a, it's a second, it's a second or third or fourth, depending on the farm crop for us. Uh, you, you, you manage it. You, um, um, and then we had this incredible opportunity to do two things. One, we can gainfully employ more people um, in, a, in a wonderful environment where we challenge them to um, make people happy. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a great, great job to come to and wake up to every morning is, you know, you know uh, I, I get to look forward to go make some family or some family member happy today. And then the other thing is just an opportunity to, 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 um, not only educate, but entertain um, families uh, through agritourism. And it might be just a giant dirt slide. <laughs> it might be a, you know, a, a, a little train made out of barrels. It, uh, it could be something as simple as, 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 as cornhole or, or just uh, bringing a blanket and uh, having a picnic. So um, uh, just, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take, uh, a complicated system of of um, of theme parks and things like that to bring families together and give them an opportunity to um, to fellowship and bond. And outside on the farm, good grief, there's fewer better places. Oh, absolutely. And and man, I saw something a few days ago talking about that barrel train you're talking about. There was some guy. I honestly want to say it was in Central Florida. He made like a, a train of like eight barrels with his lawnmower and he was pulling around dogs on his farm and like people would come and just watch him. <laughs> I was like, that's such a good idea. That's awesome. And so I'm looking yeah. at y'all's website, um, redwhiteandbluefarms.com. And so you guys have strawberries, blueberries. You've also got sunflowers and peaches. Is that right too? Yes, sir. That's awesome. So lots of sunflowers, lots of sunflowers. So what's the whole sunflower process like of growing? I'm a brand new sunflower farmer and I've been trying to learn how to, uh, how to best grow a sunflower crop. There were some, 
things that we learned in the beginning, some equipment that we had to acquire that does a little bit better job versus other equipment as far as planters go. Um, we ended up using a, a two-row monosim uh, air planter, which has gotten our uh, uniformity across the field looking really, really good. Um, but one thing that we wanted to try to do was have sunflowers available year-round. So no matter what the season was, we wanted to, wanted customers to be able to come out and cut flowers, whether it was in the fall, spring, you know, wintertime right now, even, you know, with strawberries being out here, folks can come out and pick sunflowers. Um, so I just, we really just had to learn how to get a uniform crop. We, we had to learn how we could make available flowers for the entire year. And what we ended up deciding on was that we've got a 22 acre field that we plant sunflowers in. And currently the entire field is planted with sunflowers in various stages of development. So the varieties that we've planted have included, you know, full sun improved and sun supreme. And the way that we've kind of tried to organize it is these flowers typically take about 55 days to put on a head. So in order to make sure we target key dates with the UPIC, we will ensure that we've got a, you know, a section of flowers that will be blooming at all times during, during, the, during the season when, we, when we've got customers out here. Um, so for example, we might plant an acre, uh, acre and a half, or, or maybe even smaller um, at a time. That way there's great opportunities for folks to you know, either come out and take pictures or pick flowers or whatever they want to do. And it's quite a sight. I mean, a lot of folks, including myself, have never seen a field, a 22 acre field of sunflowers. And, and at any given time, you've got, you know, two to two to four acres of it that's, that's in bloom. And it's, it, it's, uh, it's quite a sight, but um, that, that was our goal. So really the most important thing that I have to keep track of is just our planting dates. Um, and then as far as trying to get sunflowers to grow in the wintertime up in our neck of the woods, that's also been quite a challenge. So we're learning about that, learning to try and figure out what we can do to get the size out of them that we're looking for with ground temperatures being low and germination taking a little bit longer. So maybe that means that instead of 55 days, we need to look at 60, 65, 70 days, mm -hmm. depending on what kind of um, maturity um, and growth we can get out of these things um, with the challenges that wintertime faces. And then another challenge that we didn't really anticipate was when we, so we talked to a bunch of folks about growing sunflowers and, and the consensus was that you could not cold protect sunflowers. Well, I'm here to tell you that you can cold protect sunflowers. You can put water on them and make ice just like, um, just like you can any other crop. However, if you're, you've got a cold event that is a, you know, 15 hour water runtime, like we've had over this past weekend, uh, depending on the size of your flowers, you may, you're, you're probably going to start running into issues with too much ice accumulation. And then you get flowers that'll actually topple over and fall down. Mm. So what we've learned through this experience is that it may be better to grow a smaller flower that's not as susceptible to the ice load uh, if we are going to continue to try to grow flowers in the wintertime up here in, you know, north central Florida. So it's a constant learning experience, um, you know, trying to be a trying to be a better grower and figure out, you know, what your what your ground will do and what it won't do. And and we're in the process of figuring all that out now, not only with sunflowers, but with, with strawberries as well.
So, yeah, I bet as you're trying to grow a different crop, I mean, I guess it's a lot of trial and error, kind of see what works in, I mean, in your climate and what's happening with the soil and all that stuff. But I mean, I bet though in the fall, I bet there are so many photo ops of those sunflower fields. I bet those are really pretty. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if you're on the Instagram or anything like that, you can, uh, you can see them. Uh, we've got a couple of big, beautiful, uh, oak trees that are actually out there in the middle and the way the sun sets on the farm, it sets right behind that sunflower field. And then we've gotten some really good pictures of those, um, and over the, over the course of the fall. So, so like in the fall, for example, we'll start planting flowers in August. That way we can hit our opening date for the fall festival, which will be in, in set in late September um so and and this year i think i think we did a pretty pretty good job of making sure that there were flowers there and, and ready for folks to to enjoy you know no matter what the day was they were always available i bet yeah all about that planning that's a good idea but yeah i mean all the pictures i've seen make this place look really pretty and even on your website like i just clicked on um the strawberry festival and on everything there like the strawberries the sunflowers you guys have all like all the information that's there on the farm like there's a there's a slide hill, there's jump rope, swings, tetherball, all that stuff. So it seems like if anybody, like a family, especially wants like a good day out, they can go to your farm, pick some great food, and then just kind of hang out for the day, which I think is phenomenal. That's awesome. Yeah, we want them to hang out as long as they possibly can and just enjoy it. So there's plenty of fruit out there. I mean, it, it would be, it'd be great if we, if we didn't have to commercially harvest it, but you know, um, it's uh we've got plenty plenty of opportunity for folks to come out and enjoy themselves so you guys are in williston if people want to learn more if they're in williston or if they're driving through and they want to stop by where can they go and then where can they go to like find a schedule to like when are the you pick days and all that good stuff well they can certainly look at our website or our facebook page at uh red white and blues farm um and in williston and uh it's we keep that thing updated very, very often, regularly. Um, and we have to because inclement weather and that sort of thing will affect the the UPIC the hours. And uh, so we encourage folks to always uh, check it out. But, um, but uh, for the Strawberry Festival, um, the blueberries, uh, blueberry festival that we'll have, peaches, and uh, then our uh, fall family fun days, uh, all that they can find on our website and uh, Instagram page and Facebook. Yeah, we'll link all that stuff below in the description. But uh, Jeff Thomas, this was great chatting with y'all. Um, learned a lot about Red, White, and Blue Farms that if my wife and I are ever driving through Williston, which we probably will be soon, we'll have to stop by and see you guys because this place looks beautiful. Yeah, man. Come on by. Hey, thanks so much, Trevor. I hope you will. Absolutely. Well, thank y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Farm Traveler. I had a blast chatting with Thomas and Jeff, and I hoped you enjoyed it and learned about, you know, blueberry farming and UPIC operations and all that good stuff. If you are new here, thanks. Welcome. Um, consider subscribing wherever you are listening to your podcast at. And also, consider sharing with a friend or family member, whether you're a new listener or somebody that's been here since day one. Um, that's how we really grow the show, by sharing to basically everybody, anybody that might be curious about where their food comes from, um, farming, ranching, agritourism, direct-to-consumer businesses, all that good stuff that we cover here on Farm Traveler. So thanks for listening. Really appreciate it, per usual, and we'll see you next week. 
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 